Hi there, I'm Margaret. Join me for a deep dive into the life of a freelancer. I share my clients' struggles and successes and celebrate those moments that make it oh so worth it. This is Freelance Freedom. Welcome to episode two of Freelance Freedom. Today we are talking about client acquisition. But most importantly, before I get started with the top 10 list of ways you can acquire clients, I want to talk about authenticity. The idea of fake it till you make it doesn't cut it anymore. People are smart and they pay close attention to not only what you're saying as a business owner, but also pay close attention to the things that you were doing. The old adage of actions speak louder than words has never been truer than it is today. If your words and actions don't line up, then you've lost them for life. Your authenticity will attract the right people, but most importantly, it will repel the wrong ones. Now, let's get into the ways you can get great clients without paid advertising. Let's dive into it. Number one, forge relationships. Now, this is number one for a reason. How do the decisions get made of almost everyone that you think of? They ask a friend. They ask a trusted advisor for some input as to what service or what product to use. That's why word of mouth is going to be so important when building your business. It's actually relatively easy to start right off the bat, and that's what we're going to get to in some of the other steps as well, but I can't stress enough how important it is to forge relationships and nurture them as they grow. I will tell you a story about one relationship in particular that I did forge, and that's with my good friend still to this day, Marie. Now, I didn't know Marie 10 years ago, but I kind of knew who she was. Now, if you don't know who Marie is, her name's Marie Poulin. She's a superstar, not only graphic designer, developer, product owner, and strategist. But 10 years ago, I didn't know Marie very well. I'd heard of her through a couple people and decided to connect on Twitter. That Twitter relationship flourished, and we found out that one day we would be in New York at the same time. So we met up there, really hit it off. We were fast friends and still are to this day. Now, some of my major clients that I still have to this day came from referrals from Marie. So I can't overemphasize how important it is to forge and nurture lasting relationships. Now, the caveat to that is not going into relationships thinking that you're going to get something out of them. The key to all of these steps that I'm going to go into, especially this one, is to provide value. How can you be of value to this person? How can you help them when they need it most? And what can you do to help them grow their business as well? We all have a unique set of skills and yours are so valuable to so many people. So don't underestimate that. Number two, look for people in trouble. Now, this one might sound a little bit strange, but basically what you want to do is see how you can help people. Now, the biggest clients that I have to this date, they kept me on for years. Why? Because I saved their butt. Don't underestimate how valuable it is to pull someone out of the fire. We all greatly appreciate that so much, especially if you're in the world of development, design. People have a fear around technology and a real aversion to dive into it themselves to try to figure it out. The more valuable you can be in that aspect, you'll have clients for life. So how do you find people in trouble? Well, it's pretty easy. You can go on to all the major social media sites. You can go onto Facebook, you can go into Twitter, You can go into Instagram, and I would say probably Twitter and even LinkedIn are maybe the best ones for this. But going in, looking for people, searching with hashtags, hashtag help, hashtag development, hashtag design, hashtag problems, like 
all of that kind of stuff, go in and search for. And if you have the time, you can swoop in, solve the problem, and you have an immediate client for life. So don't underestimate your abilities in diving in, solving problems for people, and taking a huge weight off their shoulders. People are so appreciative. And again, you'll have that client for life. Number three, connect to people in adjacent industries. So this one's really interesting. A lot of the times when you get networking advice and advice on how to get new clients, they say, go to networking events, go to events that have everyone in your industry, connect with them. And this isn't a terrible idea. These people that you can connect with in your industry You'll be able to collaborate on projects. Maybe they'll have clients that they can't take on right now. So you'll become a source of referral for them. But what I did find when I was going to these kind of events was that these people aren't my clients. There aren't other developers looking to hire a developer to work for them, at least for the most part. So my suggestion is find out who you want to work with and go to those conferences. If you want to make websites for plastic surgeons. Go to a plastic surgeon event, trade show, whatever you can, because I guarantee you nobody's using this technique and you'll be the only developer there or designer rather. So can you imagine going into a room and physically being in front of thousands of your potential prospects? That's invaluable. Also, don't forget to bring your card. Number four, joining a Facebook group. Now for this one, there can be a very fine line to walk. I'm in a lot of e-commerce Facebook groups and I do find that people go in and immediately right off the bat, they start soliciting their services. So the problem is, again, going back to authenticity, people can see right through that. And if they come across you in another context, they'll also relate that behavior back to what they saw in the group. So with the groups, you have to be very careful I would say it's almost like a 10x rule. For every one ask you have, you need to provide 10 times the value. So I would say a long time ago, people used to say it used to be a like a 3x rule. So if you go into a group, provide like three times the value, and then you can go in and ask for the, uh, like ask for a sale. But the problem is, is groups have gotten bigger. There's groups of thousands of people now, and you see that happening all the time. So I would suggest going more by like a 10x model. So if you go in and it's easy to provide value too, you'll all have different experience and expertise in different platforms, whether it's WordPress or Shopify or Photoshop or Sketch. So anytime someone's having an issue in there, you can hop in, give your insight, maybe either do a tiny screen recording or screen share, slide into DMs, walk them through it, whatever you need to do to provide value. And then you can go in with the ask or with the offer. Sometimes groups don't allow that at all. So make sure any group that you join, you read the terms of service before diving in. So that's pretty important as well. I will add one more thing about Facebook groups too. So they're free, as of right now at least. They're free to set up. They're free to invite people to. So on top of going into other groups and providing value, you can also consider setting up your own Facebook group. Say your specialization is, so you're a designer or a virtual assistant and your specialization's in Canva. If you go in and set up private or even an open group in Canva, I'm sure within weeks you'll have hundreds, if not thousands of joiners asking, constantly asking questions. And the good thing about positioning yourself as a group owner is that People expect it a little bit more when you go in for the ask. 
So you may get better response from it. And they also see the value that you're providing in creating the group in the first place. So more people are likely to take you up on that offer. So consider free groups as well too. I will add on to that just by saying, because for things like that, you're using outside platforms like Facebook. So keep in mind that when you use outside platforms, you don't own any of the information. So make sure when you're making offers or collecting leads, that you're recording those outside of it. So you're getting someone to opt in somewhere or you're getting someone or you're recording a sale elsewhere as well. Because the reality is if Facebook has all of this community and all of these groups and one day it decides to shut down, does that mean your entire business shuts down? If the answer is yes, you need to rethink the strategy. And that's something we're going to talk about in another episode. That brings us to number five, working for free or at discounted rates. So... This one may cause a bit of controversy, as I know it can be very polarizing, especially for people online. So the idea is that when you're starting out and starting to get new prospects, you do have some of a, I want to put in air quotes, portfolio that you'll need to build. Uh, I say that in air quotes because it's. we'll talk about portfolios later. It's rare that people dive into your portfolio online and really analyze it. So in building your portfolio, you're actually building your network and you're building your circle of referrals. So there's so many people saying, don't work for free, don't work for cheap. And we get that. I'm all about providing massive value and also asking for what you're worth. Now, that being said, when I was first starting off and starting at skills that I hadn't mastered yet, like when I was first getting into e-commerce, like when I was first setting up membership sites. This stuff I was learning along the way. So a few things. It's hard to predict the final timeline when you're working on something for the first time. Also, it's hard to tell the client exactly what the outcome is going to be. And those are two things that clients really put value in. And if you can't guarantee those two things, should you be charging your full complete rate? Well, that's a question that I want to leave up to you. My strategy behind that would just be to be very honest with them. Hey, put client's name in here. Hey, client, I'm starting off this new software. I think it's going to be a really good fit for what you need. But truth be told, I haven't used it before. And I want the flexibility to play around and make it the best we can for you. I don't have an exact timeline on this. I don't know exactly all the features we're going to end with. But let's put this such and such price on it. Or let's do this for free. And at the end of it, I can use this. I'll either record myself setting it up and use that as tutorials for people in the future, or I'll use it as a portfolio piece to increase my credibility to eventually become a master in this area. So that's how I would say approach it. Of course, if you are, if you're an amazing photographer, if you're an incredible developer, you shouldn't be taking stuff for free. But if it's something that you're brand new at, that you're just learning, and you find a client that's a good fit, that respects your time and allows you the freedom for growth while you're doing it, I say totally. That being said, it's important to talk to the client about what the terms are when the project's done. Can you show other people about how you built their backend? Can you use it in a portfolio setting? So have your client agree to these terms is super important and don't overlook those, especially when you're doing stuff for free or at a discounted rate. Okay, we're at number six. Now this one should be a no-brainer, but you'd be surprised how many people take it for granted. Number six, be reliable, accessible, accountable, on time, and on budget. 
The bottom line is have integrity. If you have integrity with the clients you have now, they will always tell their friends about you. Because unfortunately, in the time that we live in, there are so many service providers that are just mediocre. So you literally only have to be one step above mediocre to get your name out there. If you really want to get it out there, of course, you want to master your skill and be amazing at it. Also be amazing at client communication, but just being one notch above adequate could earn you a lifetime of value from customers. Number seven, empathy, empathy, empathy. I can't stress this one enough. It's the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes, specifically in your client's shoes. So the biggest thing I wanted to address with this is that I see a lot of times in photography and development and design and a lot of other industries where it's a freelancer based and you're dealing with the client one-on-one, there becomes this sort of freelancer versus client scenario. It's like a us against them. But that's not really how it is. You want to create a collaborative experience with your client And to do that, you have to build empathy and put yourself in their shoes. A lot of times people are coming from situations where they've been screwed over before by previous freelancers. So try to be empathetic of that situation. Sometimes their behavior can definitely be red flags. And that's what we're going to talk about in another episode. But a lot of the times it's coming from, it's coming from their experience. It's coming from an experience of being scared. It's coming from experience of them not knowing and being out of control and delivering and handing over everything to another person to take care of. And especially small business owners, that's hard for a lot of people. So it's your job as a freelancer to put their mind at ease and really have empathy, put yourself in their shoes. You'd be surprised with the wonders that does, even just in communication, even just if you If you reach a point with your client where you're at odds for something, even just in slight communication tweaks, though, as like repeating things back to them, I think is one of the number one things in communication. So if a client comes to you and says, I don't like this, it's not how I anticipated it being laid out or whatever, if they had a sales page, something like that. And then instead of saying, well, that's what you did and this is what you agreed to and this was the scope of it, you need to put yourself in their shoes for a split second, turn around and say, okay, let's be clear. Let's set some expectations. Let's reverse. Let's fix this. Let's go back and see where we went wrong. So let's go back together. So all of the language is collaborative. It's not you did this, you did that, you said this, you signed that. The conversations you want to have with clients to build empathy, and I can't stress this enough, is to have like we conversations. Let's go back and look at this. Let's fix this. Let's work together. Let's, 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 let's. Definitely, there are problematic clients and we're definitely going to do a whole episode on that. But you can avoid, I would say, 90% of conflicts and misunderstandings if you take the time to put yourself in their shoes. Number eight, drop the technical mumbo jumbo. So a lot of things that turn clients off or make them frustrated is the fact that they feel helpless against the language that you're using. I especially find this true for developers because we talk to each other and we talk to ourselves in such a way that's so technically heavy and we don't necessarily know how or we forget to turn that off when it comes to clients. 
So for example, when somebody goes to purchase a product and you're talking, you want to redirect them to a different page depending on what product they have and give them a certain set of information. I've seen developers talk to clients about 301 redirects and HT access files. Clients have no idea what that is. So you want to build simple metaphors when you talk to them, not only when they're a client, but during the discovery period as well. This is almost when it's more valuable. So they have an understanding that you can speak to them in terms that they understand and they'll understand processes. So instead of talking a lot about in a transaction, this is what happens on the back end and this is the information they'll be delivered. Maybe you can give them an example like, hey, do you know when you go to the grocery store and you buy your groceries and then afterwards you're given an itemized receipt, a breakdown of your air miles and a bunch of information on there? Well, that's the information that we're providing to people after they sign up. So you can use real life scenarios to make it relatable for them. I find that's when you lose a lot of people especially during the discovery and proposal phase is in proposals specifically, things can get very technical. Of course, you want to cover yourself in contracts. So it can be a fine line when things are written down, which is why I highly recommend going through proposals with clients instead of just sending them off and letting them read them for themselves. Because unfortunately, proposals and contracts to a certain degree have to be very technical. But if you can break down those technicalities and have regular conversations using regular everyday metaphors with people, it not only clarifies things for them, it allows them to see the kind of value that you're giving to them. And it also gives them confidence in you and themselves. When you talk in highly technical language, they lose confidence in their ability to understand, which makes them frustrated and makes them not trust you. So that was number eight, drop the technical mumbo jumbo. Number nine, Pair up with someone that makes your work look good. So this might sound a little bit strange, but I would suggest this especially for it. I mean, this can apply to photographers, freelance writers, freelance developers, freelance designers. So for example, if you're a freelance copywriter, it's in your best interest to hook up with designers who make beautiful looking landing pages too. Because no matter how well your copy reads, Having it on a beautiful page will elevate the experience so much more and in the eyes of your client, elevate the quality of your work. The same goes for designers and developers. If you're a developer out there, make sure you pair up with great designers because especially with clients, they can't see the code that's going on behind the scenes. They only see the visuals. So if pairing up with a great designer just makes your work look so much better and vice versa. If you're a designer, pair up with great developers. It makes the design so much more crisp. There's more attention to detail and usually better functionality and usability as well, too. So pairing up with people in adjacent industries that are the top of their industry, and in turn, as long as you're doing your job properly, they can make your work look so good and you can do the same to them. It's really a win-win-win scenario. Number 10, propose and adjust and adjust and adjust and adjust. The first proposals you put out may not be super well received. I mean, you're just starting off. You're not entirely sure what you have to include, but we'll get to that in another episode. And you're sending it off to clients and a lot of times not knowing what their response is going to be. And sometimes if it's a no, there's no actual reason that they give along with it. So you're not, you don't always have the feedback you need to continuously improve. So 
I would suggest any time your proposal is rejected to reach out and ask them, how could I have made this better? Was there something that was unclear? Was there missing in something? Was it strictly a price issue? Was it strictly a timeline issue? Any of those questions, asking those to the clients. And a lot of times they're happy to, they're happy to give you feedback. Now, that being said, you have to take the feedback and implement it. So take the feedback that you're getting from clients, adjust your proposals, use it the next time, adjust it again, use it the next time. I think for my proposal, I've probably gone through about seven to 10 iterations of it. So you're not only getting feedback from clients, but you're also getting feedback from client experiences. So after you've worked with a client, if something went way out of scope, well, let's look at that scenario. What happened? What guidelines can we put in place in the new proposal to make sure that doesn't happen again? And that's guidelines for both of you as well. So make sure you're always adjusting, always taking feedback, not only from the clients, but from the experiences themselves, iterating on those proposals and putting them back out again. It's always a living, growing document, and it's likely that you'll never have the perfect proposal, but we can get you close. So that was our top 10 list about obtaining leads and ultimately winning people over. Well, there's another side to that story. It's not your job to win everyone over. It's really about connecting with the right people to collaborate with. If you're focused on just winning people over in order to do business with them, I hate to burst your bubble, but it was probably never a good fit to begin with. So the question that we should be addressing is not necessarily how to win people over, but it's how to find the right people and how to have the right people find you. So that being said, that was our top 10 list, but I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to give you a couple bonus items of what not to do. So we have a lot of things of what to do. So let's just dive into a top three of what not to do. Number one, don't change your personality to what you think they want. Instead, be more curious about their needs. So basically what I wanted to say is if you see someone that's very conservative and button up, and if that's not your style or vice versa, don't make yourself like them. Anytime that happens, people can see right through it. And if they can't see right through it, there's something that seems a little off about the interaction, which immediately infuses a little bit of distrust. So I would say at all costs, be yourself, wear your own clothes, have your own personality. And the people that are not attracted to it are not your ideal clients anyways. Number two, don't claim that you can do it all. This is the biggest mistake. If you have a client that you come across and you've just started out saying something like development and they need this huge online application built with like a ton of features and it's something that you haven't even made your first WordPress website yet, never mind huge applications with all these interacting features, the worst thing you can do is claim that you can do it and then fail. What people respect so much more is if you go to them and say, hey, so this is a little bit out of my wheelhouse. And I've done this all the time. It's a bit out of my wheelhouse. But in my network of people, I do have such and such person that I can refer you to. I think they'd be a much better fit. People appreciate that so much more than you just accepting a project and then ultimately it falling apart at the end of the day. Not only that, but anytime they have smaller projects, you can take that opportunity to also say to them, hey, I don't do such and such applications, but I do 
but I really pride myself in doing custom WordPress sites. So if you have any of those, feel free to come to me. Otherwise, I'm going to leave this other stuff up to the up to people who are better qualified for that project. In doing that, they'll be so appreciative, not only if they if they have another project come up again, they'll likely come back to you, but they'll also start to tell people, hey, I met this person, they do custom websites, I know you need one, it didn't work with them directly, but they seem really great, I'll refer you off. People do that all the time. And this is our last don't to end things off. Don't ignore that feeling in your gut. Now, this may sound a little esoteric or out there, but there are subtle subconscious signs that you receive during initial consultations with potential clients that will make things a hard no. Listen to that. This feeling will also become more refined over time and the no's will come faster and easier. Know this usually happens from a subconscious level when something in your core values and identity is not in alignment with the person that you're meeting with, and that's okay. Remember, We're not only attracting our ideal clients when we are our authentic selves, but we're also repelling those who are not a good fit. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we'll have the show notes and resources over at margaretfell.com. And please slide into my DMs, send me a message if you have any questions. Also, if you have anything that you want to cover on the show, let me know. Thanks. Thank you so much for spending your time with me. As always, I love to keep the conversation going. So head over to Twitter or Instagram at Margaret Fell. That's at M-A-R-G-R-E-F-F-E-L-L. And tag me or slide into my DMs with any questions you may have. You can also find me at my home base of margaretfell.com for all the resources. I'll see you next time.